This morning, we are going to be back in Exodus, and I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. And as we go there, uh, you can find it, if you have one of the blue Bibles, it's on page 59. If you have one of the red Bibles with a slightly larger print, it's page 70. As we go there, I'd like to ask you a question just about your heart this morning. Uh, do, you, do you need peace this morning? Are you lacking in peace? I can tell you that for me, physically, when I lack peace, uh, usually I experience that as tension in my stomach. I've had acid reflux and I've I've had uh, a couple of physical signs of stress. Sometimes my, my chest tightens up. Sometimes... I feel it in my shoulders and muscles that cannot relax, and then I get headaches. And those are real common symptoms for basically everybody who has ever experienced stress. So let me ask you this morning, do you need peace? Because I believe that if you do, the Word of God has some very clear and very specific things to say to each of us today. And may not be obvious immediately what that is from Exodus 18, but I would ask that you would keep this in mind, and my prayer is that all of us this morning would experience more of God's peace, that we would learn to walk in obedience that will lead to that kind of blessing and that kind of peace and freedom from anxiety and fear and rest. Since it's been a little while, since we have been in Exodus. Let me do a a quick kind of review to where we're at. We're in chapter 18 today. Exodus in a single sentence is God leading His people from slavery to worship. It begins in bondage and it ends in freedom. Along that journey, which is not a short journey, along that journey... God shows His awesome and sometimes terrifying power and His character. Let me ask you, do you want to know God better in terms of His majesty? Do you want to know God better in terms of His character? Who He is in awesome holiness? Then let me encourage you to look to Exodus If you weren't with us for the first 17 chapters, let me encourage you to spend some time reading along the way and to let the Word of God speak into your life so you see who God is and what He's done. Exodus shows us an all-powerful God who inspires blood-bought, joy-filled worship. It is an amazing book for Christians. God hears Israel's groaning in prayer in chapters 1 and 2. If your soul has ever been distressed and you have ever cried out to God in groaning in pain, Exodus chapters 1 and 2 is a sign to you that God hears those prayers. God reveals His name from fire in chapter 3. In response to those prayers, as He calls Moses to serve as Israel's deliverer, and God's miraculous power is poured out in fearful judgment on Egypt all the way through Exodus chapter 12. And we read the the ten plagues 
that are a serious reminder of a holy God who will not tolerate sin. In chapter 12, we learn about the Passover, how God required the blood of a lamb to cover the sin of his people. And of course, this looks forward to Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes our sins, whose blood covers our sins and protects us and saves us from the righteous judgment of God. We see the crossing of the Red Sea as God has brought his people out of Egypt through that act of judgment on Pharaoh and his people. God protects his people and he leads them. And not only does God lead them, we see Moses' leadership established as God provides food and water for his people through Moses. Think of the God of the ten plagues and his radical power to do anything and everything he wants to do and needs to do. And yet, as he provides for his people, he sets up Moses as a leader and chooses to work through a flawed human, which is what he continues to do to this day. Today, we are in chapter 18. But pause for a second. I want to to remind you of where we're going. So before we look at chapter 18, chapter 19 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. We see the people of God ready to listen to God Almighty on a mountain that is shaking in fire and smoke from His awesome holiness. We see the people ready to listen and to hear. And in chapter 20, God reveals His law. Chapter 20 teaches the Ten Commandments and the following chapters apply all of those commandments to a number of different situations of life. And He teaches Israel that the path to blessing, is through obedience. Do not miss the reality that in Exodus, God's people are saved before they are given the law. Redemption happens before obedience is learned, and it is the same way with us. God saves us, and then he teaches us to walk in obedience. But before we look at God's law in chapter 20, we need to look at chapter 18, And realize that before God gives his people the law, he sets up leaders for the whole nation so that they are equipped to walk in obedience. This is not every man for himself. It's not every Israelite is given a personal copy of the Ten Commandments and said, go do it. God sets up leadership so that we know when and how His laws apply to each of us. And here's part of why I think why. I don't don't want to get ahead of myself here, but here's the thing. Whenever we encounter a law, we really like to apply the law to everyone else and assume that we can be kind of an exception to the law. God said this, but my circumstances are just a little bit different, so I really feel like that doesn't apply to me right now. Godly leadership directly addresses that problem. What you and I need in those moments is someone who knows the law and who lovingly can look at our lives and say, no, this does apply to you right now. This is what obedience looks like. And God is inviting you to a place of blessing and you need to obey. Chapter 16 and 17 establishes Moses as God's ordained leadership. But Moses is one man over an entire nation. And now that leadership in chapter 18 is spread out so that the whole nation has people who will explain and apply God's laws. And those people are in place 
right before the law is revealed in chapter 20. So the first half of chapter 18 demonstrates where this leadership comes from, how it's put into place. And so I want to ask you, is this still by way of introduction? Look with me at verses 1 through 12. So Exodus chapter 18, follow along with me as I read. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he had said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And when Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. This beginning of chapter 18 is a prelude to the leadership that God is going to put in place. But it also concludes a bit of business with Moses that began in the first part of the book. Moses, when he first is called to lead God, or really before God actually calls him, when he is put in a position of authority by being raised in Pharaoh's palace, he attempts to act as a deliverer, and it falls flat on his face. And so in discouragement, he flees from Pharaoh and runs to Midian. It's where he meets his wife. It's how he knows Jethro. And you can see in the names of whose two kids that are reminded here, his discouragement. When he has his first son, he says... I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. It means I'm, I'm cut off from my people. I'm gone. I'm, I'm out of here. He seems to lack hope that God will actually deliver his people in his time. In the name of his second son, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. At the time his son was born, that meant he saved my life. Pharaoh didn't kill me. I was able to escape. But now, Coming back. His son's name is an incredibly prophetic truth that God was greater than he ever could have imagined and not only delivered him out of Pharaoh's hand, but delivered the entire nation of Israel out of Pharaoh's hand. And so Moses 
is coming to a place where he has seen God fulfill all of his promises. And he testifies to his father-in-law about what God has done that exceeded everything he had ever hoped or imagined. Jethro, his father-in-law, is a direct fulfillment of what God said in Exodus chapter 9, verse 18. And let me remind you, it's been a, been a long time since we were there. Exodus chapter 9, verse 18. God says this to Pharaoh. He says, for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God's intention was always to show the whole world his power and his grace through his people. And Jethro, a man who is not part of God's people, although he is called a priest of Midian, becomes a worshiper of God. Notice what he said in verse 11. He said, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. God's intention was always for his people to be a light to the world. And now, in their infancy as a people, they are already shining. But in this moment, Jethro, like a good father-in-law, immediately starts dispensing advice. And it is good advice. So look with me at the need for leaders within Israel, in verses 13 through 18. After God has established Moses' leadership so clearly in chapter 16 and 17, using him to speak, using him to apply the law, he spreads that leadership out in chapter 18 so that Moses doesn't die trying to lead a nation by himself. So look with me at the need for leaders. Read verses 13 to 18 with me. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. I love Jethro's bluntness. He doesn't waste words. He just gets right to the point and says, What you are doing is not good. Your intention is good. Moses is wanting to help the people understand what God wants of them. And the people are right to come to him for guidance. He has clearly been established as God's spokesman for Israel. But it is too much responsibility for Moses to bear. In Jethro's words, you are not able to do it alone. Now let me pause right here. I I am committed to preaching through books of the Bible. I always start chapter 1, go all the way through the end of the book. So I want to be perfectly clear here. I did not pick this text today so that we would hire an associate pastor. Put that thought out of your head. Here's the reality. If if you think that, you are going to miss what God has for you in this chapter. There is something very tangible and practical for each of us here. 
And the reality is, we need to hear from God and understand what leadership should look like in our church. So let me return. The truth remains, no one person can handle the work of teaching God's word alone. To get a better picture of the responsibility that these leaders had, look with me at verses 19 to 23, and we'll see, this is the second point of my outline today, we will see the responsibility of leaders. So read verses 19 to 23 with me. Now obey my voice, Jethro is still speaking, it says, I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every matter they shall bring to you Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. The single word that captures this job description, what a leader does, the responsibility of leaders, is judge. Don't mishear me. This is, not, this is not judgment and bringing down a hammer. This is taking the clear law of God and explaining to people when and where it applies. This is the same thing that Moses does. Notice verse 20. Jethro says, You shall warn them about statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. You might remember when I preached two weeks ago, Paul, speaking to the Ephesian church, says, I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Both Paul and Jethro are saying that disobedience is deadly. You have to know what God tells you is right and wrong so that you can obey. Israel would have had an amazingly graphic reminder of this, Because the bodies of dead Egyptians that they had just left behind at the Red Sea would have been an amazing reminder that disobeying God's clear commands results in death. And if you think that that's just a harsh reality of the Old Testament, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. That truth has not changed. There is real danger in sin. And if sin is that serious, and it is, it makes really good sense that we would want to understand what God says about what's right and what's wrong. Ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance of the law is never an excuse. So we need to know what the law says and how it applies to each of our lives. And we need good help in order to do that. It makes sense that we would lean on people who know God and His Word better than we do to apply His truth to our lives. And this kind of judgment is still needed in the church. And to demonstrate that, I want to point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you you want to turn there with me, you're welcome to. If not, you can just read it and look it up later. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to point out the first six verses of that 
to demonstrate that God expects this type of leadership to still be active in his church today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 1, and Paul is writing to a church. They they have been suing each other in court, going before non-Christians so that a non-Christian can decide between them and say who's right and who's wrong. And Paul says this, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Paul is making it very clear. The first place we should go to for counsel. Is not an unbeliever, especially not a non-Christian judge. We should go to faithful leaders within the church. Let me ask you, where, where do you go to for advice? Do you look up an advice column in the newspaper Do you turn on Oprah Winfrey? Do you call a friend who will just tell you what you want to hear, what you think? You know, you have a problem with your wife, so you go and find your buddy who will already agree with you. And it's like, yeah, she's totally wrong. That is not, that is not biblical leadership. In those moments of crisis, you don't need a friend. You need a faithful, godly leader To help you know what it means to obey the word of God in your life. And frankly, your head and my head is not clear enough in those times to be able to do this for ourselves. Paul says leaders exist in the church for that. Your first recourse in crisis should not be to go find someone that you think would tell you wise counsel outside the church. Don't go to an unbeliever. Go first to someone who knows and loves the Lord. Let me say this, I, some of you, especially if you are good at what you do, you can recognize sometimes Christians are terrible business leaders. Sometimes Christians have terrible marriages. I am not saying go to someone because they are a Christian who is not qualified to help you. I will say there are very good applications. If someone loves the Lord, they may be able to help you assess your heart so that even if they don't understand business, they may be able to help you understand if your heart is right before the Lord so that you can learn to obey God in your particular setting, in your particular context, even if they don't totally understand where you live and what you're doing. Christians help each other check their hearts before the Lord so that we can learn to obey. I believe the church, you and I, myself included, are still guilty of going to non-Christians for advice when we should be looking to faithful leaders within the church. The temptation is always to look for advice from people who will tell us what we want to hear. But that is foolish. The wise thing to do is to seek counsel from someone who knows and loves the Lord. Is it not true that we at First Baptist Church of Holly are blessed with wise people within our church? Let me ask you, do you talk to them? Do you go and ask them when you have a problem what they believe God would counsel you to do? 
doesn't it make sense that we would go to them with our problems and seek godly guidance? So let me ask again, where do you go? Who's on your speed dial? Who do you call first? And let me add this. If the pastor is the only one you go to, you are setting him up for an early grave. I mean it. One man cannot meet the needs of the whole congregation. Two men cannot meet the needs of the whole congregation. I'm not talking about just asking anyone in the church for advice, but I am talking about finding some specific leaders who have qualifications. And let's go to Exodus again and look at the qualifications for leaders because Jethro actually has some specific things to say in his context that apply to our context as well. So the third point for today is the qualification for leaders. Look at verse 21 with me. Moreover, Look for men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Notice, it comes from all the people. There's no place for appointing leadership from a subset, from like a clique, from your friends. You have to make sure that all the people in the church are represented. And there are some serious character qualifications. The first one, he says, look for men who fear God. Fear God. What does it mean to fear God? Number one, the first thing, if you fear the Lord, you pay attention to his word. If you want a verse for that, look at Exodus 9, verse 20. You can look that up later. If you fear the Lord, you will pay attention to his word. You will know what he said. Do not seek counsel from a friend within the church who has no knowledge of the scriptures. And if you go to someone for advice and they never mention the Bible, find someone else. Go to someone who fears the Lord. How do you know if someone fears the Lord? The the first thing that I would look for is Bible knowledge. Someone who has not bothered to know the word of God will not know the God of the word well. But knowledge is not the only criteria. There are lots of knowledgeable and immature Christians. You can tell who they are because they love to fight about theology. Not saying go to someone who knows a lot. That is not the only qualification, but it's indispensable. Look first for someone who knows the word. Then look for people who are humble in their knowledge. Look for people who have obeyed the Lord when it is hard, when obedience has been costly. Look for people who are honest about their past failures. That kind of character that can confess past failures, moves beyond just Bible knowledge, and it makes someone trustworthy. When you see that they have submitted to the Word of God, you know that they are not hypocrites. And that's the second, the second category that Jethro mentions in terms of character. He says they must be trustworthy. Trust is an incredibly hard thing. I'm convinced it's why we actually don't do this very well as a church. Because we don't trust each other enough to be honest about what's really going on with our lives. The reality is we need leaders who are trustworthy and you will only know them if you seek to know them in the context of a real relationship where you can test their character. Trustworthiness manifests itself. Are are they honest with money? Are they above reproach and reputation? There are a lot more things that could be said about the New Testament. I'll say a little bit more about that in just a minute. But trustworthy. I'm not telling you to just go to someone who's a member of the church and that's good enough. Find someone who fears the Lord, someone who is trustworthy. The last thing Jethro says, they hate a bribe. They hate a bribe. We are not in a culture that does a lot of overt bribery. Probably the closest we get it is when we give a Starbucks card to a teacher so the teacher takes care of our kids. That is, and I don't want to knock that. Uh, 
Sorry if I deeply offended some teachers here. The reality is, we don't have a lot of obvious overt bribery within our church. But you know what we do? We do take sides based on who our friends are. When Jethro says they have to hate a bribe, he's saying they have to be objective and they have to be fair. You want someone who will humbly apply the word of God to you the exact same way they would apply it to anyone else. Look for someone who is impartial. You can tell an impartial person when they are willing to hang out with people that are kind of... Do you know what I mean? Not, not the people that everyone wants to be friends with, but an impartial person is kind and gracious to everyone. So look for people who are impartial. Let me ask that you would pray for us as leaders, for me as a pastor and for the other leaders of our church, because it is really easy to treat your friends differently from everyone else, to make time for the people that you're close to and to not have time for the people that are a little bit more distant. Pray that we would be impartial. This is not an easy thing. The church of God is a family and there are no second class family members. Leaders have to be impartial. And a lot more could be said about this. The passage that uh, we actually read in first service, we read a, a passage from Acts that mentioned deacons need to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. First Timothy and Titus have a huge list of qualifications for elders and deacons. And there are practical things like, what's their family life like? You don't want to go to someone for advice whose family is a mess. Are you seeking marriage advice from someone who has a terrible marriage? Well, that, that disqualifies them from speaking the word of God to you. Do they love money? Because if you're seeking financial counsel from someone who loves money, you'll get terrible advice. They'll tell you what the Wall Street Journal says. They won't tell you what God says. If you get advice from someone who cares about houses and cars and boats too much, they will not tell you what you need to hear from the Word of God. And there is a lot more that could be said here. Let me urge you to study the Scriptures as we pray for faithful leaders. We need more faithful leaders within our church. And let me add this. I've been talking very generally about leadership where we submit to the wise counsel of mature Christians whether or not they actually serve an official capacity within the church. But the New Testament also makes it very clear that the church is to have elders and deacons serving in official capacity. And when it says to respect your elders and submit to them, you should be able to have a face and a name and know who your elders are within the church. So I'm applying Exodus 18 very generally and broadly, but there is a specific and a narrow application of this, and our church also needs to be thinking about that. If you serve in an official capacity of leadership, 1 Timothy and Titus both give you a job description and qualifications that you must have. You have a unique responsibility to lead both in example and in knowledge of the scriptures. And all of us as a church are required to submit to the leadership within the church. And let me add, I do believe that our church needs more elders and deacons, both. And I believe that we should be prayerfully considering what that looks like us, looks like for us as a church. And so let me give a practical word. Just in terms of numbers, in a church of our size, we have around 200 people who regularly, somewhat regularly attend. How many leaders like this should we have? Speaking more generally again. Well, I think biblically, probably somewhere around 20. And the reason why, and we should be able to name them and identify them. There, there shouldn't be a lot of confusion over this. 
Jethro says that there need to be leaders over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And that means that at the lowest level, we need a good leader for every ten people in the church. So somewhere around 20 people who know the word, who have good character, that you can go to as a first line. A good leader will also say, you know what, that's over my head. Let's go together to someone who knows even more. We need somewhere around 20 people. And I want to encourage us as a church, God, give us 20 leaders. Pray specifically that we would know when God has answered this prayer. Someone on a short list that we can call in terms of a crisis to pray with us and to counsel us. Let me ask you, do you have someone like that here? Who is on your speed dial from the church? Do we have that many people here? I think we need more. Remember, at the beginning of this message, I asked, do you have peace? Do, do you, right now today, have peace in your heart? Are you, are you relaxed and resting in God? If not, biblical godly leadership can help that. You need to seek counsel with whatever is causing you anxiety. Even if you don't know what it is, you need to seek the counsel of God's good leadership. You can see the clear blessing of leaders in verse 23 here. And let me read that again. Jethro says, if you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure. So there's a blessing for the leaders. And then all this people also will go to their place in peace. We find peace when we know what God says and we walk in obedience. And in order to do that, we need the loving, humble help of godly leaders. And I notice the last thing I want to say from Exodus they actually put this into practice. So the final verses of, of uh, chapter 18 say this. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any smaller matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Moses not only says, yeah, that's a really good idea, but they actually do it. There are so many times when we come to the word of God and we say, wow, that's a really good idea. But we don't actually put it in practice. And I want to beg you today to do two things. First of all, you need to be close as a church, we all do, so that we can meet and know who our godly people are. One of the ways to do that is to meet them in Sunday school. We have round tables so that we can discuss and know things relationally, so that you can meet people. This will be messy. You will also not only meet godly good leaders, you will meet people who are kind of... The reality is we need that fellowship. You will not know who to call in a crisis if you don't know people in the church well. So my first application is I would beg you, spend some time coming to Sunday school or to a Wednesday night. Now, if, if you are in the band, both of those options are typical. Or, or not, they, they are difficult because you are practicing Wednesday night and you are serving Sunday morning during Sunday school. So let me encourage you, band members, be this for each other. Look for leadership within the group that you serve with. Be open and honest with each other. Learn the truths of God together and encourage each other. So come to Sunday school. Be in fellowship with other believers. 
The second point of application, and I would like to do this right now as a church, is to pray. And to pray for two things specifically. Number one, that God would bless us with godly leaders. The New Testament teaches that leaders are a gift to the church from God. That he calls some to be apostles, some to be teachers, some to be prophets. God is the one who is in charge of appointing leadership. Ask that God would appoint good and faithful leadership within our church. So that's number one prayer request. Number two, pray that we as a church would submit to their leadership. This is the hard one. We don't like to think of who our leaders are specifically, because if we leave it kind of vague, we just go, ah, I, I do that. But if you think of who our leaders are specifically, and someone tells you something you don't want to hear, you will know whether or not you have humbly submitted to the word of God. Let me encourage you that God would give us a heart that longs to obey him so that we can experience peace. And in just a moment, I want to have a time of prayer as a church. I'd like to have three or four people pray that God would do this work in our church, giving us good leaders, teaching us to submit. But before we pray, let me encourage you, write this day down. I believe that as we ask God for things specifically, God answers prayer. And I want to see God give us 20 faithful leaders so that in the future, and I don't know how quickly God will answer this, I don't know what it'll look like in details, but I expect that God is not going to say no to this. So let me encourage you, if you want to see God answer prayers, write this down, remember it, and let's be faithful in prayer together. And could I have three or four people pray right now, and then in just a few minutes, I'll close. Father in heaven, we have heard from your word. We have understood what it said. We ask that you would give us the strength to obey. Lead us to a place of peace. In Jesus' name, amen.